You're listening to the Counting Lights Podcast with Chris Dimity and Dan Danzy. Counting Lights Podcast, where comedy and wrestling lock up. And we're back with the Counting Lights Podcast. Bam. What's going on, Dan? Uh, nothing much. Sorry about last week. No new episodes. We had a computer malfunction. Um, but then, you know... We, we, I got the malfunction taken care of. Here we are recording. And then a lot has happened in comedy and in wrestling. It's been a busy, busy, busy week. Chris, you got to play security for Ron White. Yeah, they, uh, uh, big shout out to Jay and the staff over at uh, the Improv there in Addison. Uh, they hollered at me and said they'd like a big motherfucker to... Be in the room. They I can't had, they, believe they didn't call me. <laughs> he had two, <laughs> they had, uh, I guess, three nights of sold-out shows there for Ron White. I mean, I would imagine. Um, I only did Saturday night because that's what I had available. And uh, but they were glad to have me, and uh, staff was really great. Everybody was really friendly, and uh, so I did. Uh, kind of stood around and made sure there was no problems with Ron. They had a uh, just packed crowd. Yeah. Um, Kind of a, you know, I didn't, I didn't expect any trouble because, mm. uh, you know, it was kind of an um, uh, upper uh, financial people with a lot of, ex, you know. Uh, well, you never spend, know, though. You know, but you never know. And uh, and I think a lot of the uh, folks uh, that, uh, that were there probably uh, bought some of their tickets from third-party vendors, and so they yeah. had to spend a little bit more money. But... You know, what Jay had mentioned is that people that spend that kind of money kind of feel entitled to act the way they want to. Mm-hmm. And so it's nice to have, uh, you know, 300-pound man there to handle any problems. Uh, mm-hmm. Actually got to walk Ron to the stage. That's awesome. Sit by the stage while uh, while Ron did a set, uh, you know, to watch the crowd and keep an eye on him. And I mean, I was as close to him as you and I are here to, while he was doing the set, I so, imagine you wish so Ron any, was co-hosting this podcast that, well, with you. Um, I probably, I probably uh, wouldn't get any words out sideways. So. You no, you got even more of a curmudgeon <laughs> sitting next to you. <laughs> so it was good. It was good. It was, it was good. I was really happy. I really, really appreciate the folks over over at the Addison Improv. For, How tall is he? He's uh he's probably about six one. He's probably really? really close to my height. Okay. Um, you know, uh, I used to be a little taller, and after the, after all the years of bouncing on my ass and my back, I've kind of lost a little bit of height. But we're probably pretty close to the same. Height. I mean, you're still in good shape. You, I mean, you you kind of give off this impression that you're fragile and stuff. But no, anybody he, who sees you in person is just like, I think even Kevin Sullivan said, just like you look like you could still go. Yeah, well, you know, it's uh, I would prefer to. That's the reason I'm not in the ring now. I'd love to be able to, but mm-hmm. you know, as as I age farther, I would like to be able to walk too. Dude, I just saw Sting, 62 years old. He wrestled his first. This wasn't a cinematic match. Where was this at? AEW Double or Nothing. Really? Probably the best pay per view they've ever put on in the company history. So what kind of? How long? How long of a match did he? It was about it was a 15 20 minute match tag team match. He did oh, a, okay. he did he dove off the stage and did a cross body on two people. 62 years old. No, and then he um one of the big one of the big moments was he reversed uh 
Scorpio Sky. Scorpio Sky was doing some kind of crazy flip move, and Sting reversed it into the Scorpion Death Drop and got the one, two, three. Cool. Like I'd he, I wouldn't mind seeing that match. I, I mean, think I have it on demand. Yeah, actually, if you want to see it, that's actually that's actually something I would actually probably be interested in. I'm just saying, if Sting can do it at 62, like you, you look like you're in better shape uh, than you Sting. You know, I've been, I've considered, you know, trying to. It, it would take me a good, probably four months. Yeah. To really. Uh, to get back into the kind of shape that I'd feel confident crawling into the ring. Listen, I can. I kind of want to do this. I want to. I want to be who's Rocky's manager. What was that guy's uh, name? Mick. Mick. I want to be your Mick. I want to. I want to go to the gym with you in a hoodie with a towel wrapped around my neck. Come on, kid. You Listen, still got it. It's not that glamorous, man. It's not that glamorous. Have you punched pounds of meat? Yeah. <laughs> Getting thrown out of the Kroger. Yeah. You- <laughs> That's exactly right. We're gonna buy a brisket. You guys can't. You guys can't come to this Whole Foods anymore. <laughs> We're training. He's gonna be the uh, greatest. We get kicked out. Of, kicked out of the Tom Thumb. Mm. But what was awesome was like Sting. You know how Sting had been wrestling in like a shirt. Like he always wore right, a shirt. Right, right. He took off the shirt, and like as someone who just like finds old physiques gross. Uh huh. You know, like, I guess that's why I tuned out of Hogan, because it was just like, okay, it's starting to look gross now, Hogan. Starting to kind of sag a little bit. Yeah, Sting did not look like he had a 62-year-old body. You know, he's kept himself in pretty good shape. I mean, you know, there was a time in uh, WCW when he came back Mm -hmm. um, after the... The whole crow, you know, bringing in the crow thing is yeah. actually made the big comeback. And uh, there was the time there where you're like, man, I look like Sting. You put on a little bit of weight. But you even know? then, but, I didn't know he was in his 40s. Yeah. Did you know that? Oh, yeah. Like near that. the end of WCW, he is like 44, or 45. Yeah, it's funny because, um, you know, when uh, with all this, uh, you know, uh, a&E and the Dark Side of the Ring stuff going on with the Warrior and uh, the stuff that I've been watching. When he was here in Dallas, he lived in an apartment in Irving. Yeah. Uh, not too far from the junior high school that I went to. Oh, nice. And uh, 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 one of the people that I went to school with lived in those apartments. And had a. we were, you know, we were... Uh, I already got the idea. I want to be in, in the pro wrestling business. You know, this is probably, I don't know, probably sophomore, junior year in high school. Yeah. You know, during the big uh, world class and uh, the free bird feud. And, and so I was really interested in it. And uh, he had, he was making his debut and him and Sting had already gone through uh, the UWF and been to Memphis. And, and so they kind of split ways and Jim Helwig was in world class as the, ding, the Dingo Warrior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Gary Hart was his manager. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, Welcome back to the Gary Hart podcast. Right. So uh, we uh, um, we actually were, were thinking about going and approaching him, trying to get uh, me and another friend of mine uh, in, in, high, in high school, Roland. The guy yeah, yeah. We met Roland. And uh, to, uh, to train us. Jim Helwig? Jim or? Helwig. Okay. So uh, thank God we didn't. 
Yeah, because one thing I'm learning, these documentaries <laughs> that are... God we didn't. These documentaries that are coming out do not portray Jim Helwig he in was, the greatest of light. He was not a wrestler. He is... Oh, <laughs> okay. He, he wasn't. He wasn't. Like, I'm just saying, there's he'll, this... He'll admit it. I mean, there's just did, been some controversy. He did not... He did not... Uh, he was more focused on getting himself over mm. than learning the wrestling business. He was opportunistic. Yeah. And so, listen, he, he really, when he made his big debut in with New York, mm-hmm. he'd only been in the business four years. Yeah. So, and, uh, and they were trained specifically, if I'm not mistaken, by Red Bastine. Yeah. Who eventually became a, a, a good friend of mine. Uh, Red Bastine was at one point owned a piece of the Dallas territory and uh, Red Bastine had uh, three locations that he lived in. It was Dallas. He lived in Dallas. Then he had a place in Minnesota that we'd go for the summers because it was cooler and he lived on a lake. And then he had a place in LA because he was involved with the LA promotion at one time. Yeah. So, and, and I think he trained, he trained uh, Steve uh, Sting. He trained Jim. And then he trained uh, a guy who I would become good friends with, uh, the Angel of Death. Do you remember Angel of Death? No. Six six. Oh no, six seven. About three hundred pounds. Huge ball. Thank you. I think he had a match with my grandparents because they're no longer here. Right, there you go. So <laughs> that was kind of a dark yeah, yeah, turn, so but thank, go ahead. Thank God I went through the, the, the right path to actually learn how to mat wrestle. You know? <laughs> Which you know brings it back. I mean, you know, if I had to. I could still hold my own, yeah, you know, but I couldn't do it two days in a row. Really? I don't think. I mean, I, I can't imagine at this point. And it's it's the joints that it's 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 the actual bone structure, you know. With a little bit of training, I could probably get. I mean, I'm bull strong. I'm yeah. old man strong, you know. What if what if at the next Counting Lights event, the next wrestling event, we put you in the ring with someone? Give you a little impromptu match, maybe. I don't know. Uh, wouldn't be impromptu. I'd have to focus on it and try. Okay. For, for, but what if it was like someone around your uh, around your age? I'd be fine getting in the ring with a young guy. Mm, you okay. Um, but uh, you know, I, I would want it to be a match. If I got in the ring with someone, I wouldn't want it to be. Um, I mean, I know there's kids in the business, and you know, I call them kids. They're grown people. Mm-hmm. You know, they're in their. 20s and 30s. I call and, open micers kids but, that are but, in their 20s. Uh, but, uh, you know, I mean, I would, if if I, with the knowledge I have, if I got in the ring with somebody, I want to I want to get in with somebody that was going to be a challenge. Okay. You know, personally. Okay. to If, I, if I'm going to do it, I don't want it to be a squash. I was going to suggest Miss, uh, Chris Germany versus Mr. Wobble. Oh, no. That, no. I'd kill that dude. You'd kill Mr. Robbins. I mean, are listen, we throwing this out right no, now? No, listen, Jay's a great guy. I love him, but uh, well, them fighting as, words. But though. as far as as far as and listen, it would not go good. The crowd would be split right down the middle. I think the crowd would be rooting for Mr. Wobble. I would have to turn complete heel then. Yeah, that's what you're gonna. Can you wobble? Can you do the wobble? Uh, well, let me just say, if it came, see, if you're not gonna do the wobble, came, that crowd's if, not if gonna be split. If it came down to it. Mr. Wobble would not be able to wobble after we got through. God, those are some harsh words. I mean, I'm, I honest. Think I'm being honest, bro. I'm going to have to use... 320 pounds. I'm right going to have to use my executive power and counting lights and book this match before we even... Yeah. Before we even schedule it. Yeah, it's not going to... Listen, 
maybe Mr. Wobble is what? Maybe 5'10", maybe 180 pounds? I'm just, but, dude, the charisma, he's he's quicker right. than you. He's younger right. than you. Charisma don't punch you in the mouth. Oh, see? Here we go with I'm these words. I, I I'm going to have to book he's this match. He's a great performer, and he's a good wrestler. But, it, like, when it comes down to it, I mean... Chris I'm Germany just, just saying. versus Mr. Wobble is going to headline. Not gonna, not gonna, it's not going to happen. The fir- wobble, happen. wobble for it all is what we're going to call this. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. No, so with Jim Helwig, why, um, why, why do you think... So he was one of these opportunistic people, but you said he was trained. I, I, well, I, so how did he I get the bad reputation? Did he just stop training with the no, old I Red? I just think that it wasn't... He wasn't interested. He was more interested in... Uh, a being famous okay being, and getting over yeah then actually learning listen go watch some of this oh no you i know obviously i mean even even the and when he won the intercontinental title it was literally a three-minute match yeah i mean even the hogan matches so such simple shit i mm-hmm. mean shit that you know, I mean, he beat Hogan with like a splash or something like yeah, this and not a very good one to be mm-hmm. honest with you. Like it was, mm-hmm. uh, it was very given to him. Yeah, his push was a definite push. Like there's some guys in the business that got huge pushes that they didn't have a choice. Yeah, like he got they 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 got over so well. Like here's a great example: Steve Austin. Yeah, like he was a good worker and he was on his way up. But, like, they didn't have a choice at at one point, but to push him. Yeah, because after that King of the Ring promo, and 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 and, and, and he was s- such on the way for a push anyway. Like the crowd was making those decisions. Yeah, like they were buying into his shit. You know why? Because that was Steve. Mm-hmm. Like it, like that whole character was like that was. 90% his personality. Do you feel that Jim Helwig got over because it was just, it, he he was a type of guy that wanted to get over and he did get over because of his persona? I, or do you feel that his push was just given to him because it was WWE or F at the time going, uh, love this because we're going to shove it down your throats? Um, I think that, I think that Jim got over because of his physique. Physique? I mean, if I you see, see if you see, um, and it's the direct difference between what happened uh, when the Blade Runner split up. Yeah. Um, when when Jim Helwig uh, split and went to world class, and uh, and Sting stayed with the UWF and, mm-hmm. and was surrounded himself with people who were great workers. Now here you go. So when Sting. Split up with Helwig. Helwig went to world class, and he stayed with the UWF, which was owned by Bill Watts. He surrounded himself with guys like Eddie Gilbert. Eddie Gilbert was a tactician. Eddie Gilbert was a Memphis wrestler who was a second generation wrestler. Yeah. His father was a, was was a great draw, and really, uh, Eddie Gilbert learned how to wrestle by watching and learning from. Jerry the King Lawler and the guys in the Memphis territory like Bill Dundee, like um, like uh, Danny Davis, okay. uh, like, um, you know, some of the older wrestlers that maybe weren't a great physique, yeah, but they learned how to work. And so that's what got them over. 
is actually learning how to work. Yeah. And this happened with Sting, you're saying? Yeah, with Sting. He also had, like, and if we're going to compare careers after the Blade Runner split up, Helwig didn't get to work with as many people as Sting did. Helwig, you know, he got into New York, he did the, you know, Ultimate Warrior gimmick, but Sting, at the same time, is having countless matches with Ric Flair. Ric Flair has taken him under his wing. Yeah, when the, when the UWF was bought by um, Jim Crockett, Crockett Promotions, UWA, yeah. the uh, Jim, uh, Jim Crockett Promotion, bought out Bill Watts. Mm-hmm. And so they got to kind of cherry-pick the wrestlers that were involved in. There was a lot of guys that went to the wayside and really kind of got out of the business. You know, so mid-card guys and lower-card lower guys, uh, you know. And uh, so they kind of got to cherry-pick, and Sting was one of the guys that they cherry-picked. Yeah. So when they brought him over and started to get him over, and he turned babyface, because he was a heel uh, in the UWF, you know, hanging out with the Eddie Gilbert uh, stable. Yeah. And also guys like Rick Steiner were in that stable. Um, you know, he, uh, Missy Hyatt mm-hmm. was involved with that stable, um, which Jim Crocker promotions used quite a bit. Uh, then, uh, when they brought him in and he got over as a baby face, they were like, Oh, this the sting got over so well that flair said, that's the guy. Yeah. That's the guy I want to start bringing up. So flair started working with him. Now, I, I've said this before. If you look at the, and I believe it was the 88, the first uh, Clash of Champions, 88. His first uh, encounter with Sting. His really first, in fact, it was, it was. I believe it was, a. if it was not an hour match, it was a 45-minute match. But Sting's very green. He's that very, match. very that, green. But Ric Flair is such uh, a professional that, I mean, you really can't notice that Sting is green. Because Ric Flair's doing such a good job just carrying that you didn't, match. You didn't, and it wasn't until I'd gotten the following year I got in the business mm-hmm. that I realized what they were doing because it was one of the first things that they taught us in the business was the simple spot. And if you go back and find it, it's really actually a really good match for, for some of these younger guys to watch because the whole spot that, the whole shine portion, which is pulls up an enti- a huge ma- amount of the match, is Rick uh, having Sting work a headlock? Yeah. And if you can, and I don't, I don't know what they're doing nowadays. I mean, I don't watch enough to see if that's even something that. They- Actually, Jr. Uh, just said on Dynamite last night. Jr. had mentioned a headlock, and Jr. jokingly said, "Headlock, you remember those? Yeah, like, that's yeah, because no one, no one does it anymore. Right? Fucking grab a fucking headlock. Just you, headlock. You, you want to be noticed? How about wrestling? Yeah. So it's it's like he worked an entire headlock, and this was the spot was headlock and you and, and at, whatever happens after the headlock you go right back to the headlock yeah so it's headlock take him with the ropes shoulder tackle get the headlock again take him over mm-hmm. work the headlock okay you get him up throw him shoulder tackle drop down get it again and they were doing that with the Sting yeah, Ric yeah. Flair match shoulder tackle drop down leapfrog get it again yeah. It's like you're adding something to it every but time. My point was like that's how Sting act. The, the, the he working, learned. He actually yeah, invested. With all those he, invest, he invested in the wrestling business. Not only do you have Ric Flair right there, but you know Sting's in the middle of the Four Horsemen angle where he's in the Horsemen. He's sure. not in the Horsemen, right. but he's working with Tully and he's working with Arn and J.J. Dillon. And then Jim Helwig 
is over off here in New York getting... Doing three-minute matches. Doing three-minute matches, not really learning, getting Just getting over. And I just, I I don't know. I think it's really funny. Hellwig's best spot was shaking the ropes. That, that, I mean, yeah. That's I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. I would lose. I would lose my shit when the Ultimate Warrior did that. Right. I don't know why. I would be like, yeah, he's fucking shaking. And which is which is funny is he had a huge reputation of getting what we call in the business blown up. Yeah. Which losing your air, not having. the ability to go long, you mm-hmm. know, he would constantly get blown up and get overly excited, and so you lose your air. Andre the Giant knocked him out in a house show because of that shit. He would work too fast. He'd work too he fast. Would slow down, kid. I guess the night before, Andre just wanted him to to go on the ropes, give him a simple clothesline, and they worked this match about three or four events, and Helwig would always just really just go into Andre the Giant and just pissed Andre off. So the last time, the next time they did the spot, Hellwig goes on the ropes, come back. Andre the Giant just put up his fist and fucking Hellwig just runs into his fist and gets knocked out. <laughs> so that's... that's that's So that's what Jim that's Hellwig's ex- going through. Meanwhile, Sting... Sting is actually learning the business. He's and partying getting, with Ric Flair. Well, and he's getting some respect. Okay, and I'll admit that. When Sting came in, one of the things that Dusty Rhodes said to him was, hey, you learn this wrestling business, you'll never lose a match. You know what I'm saying? Until he went to WWE. That's well, what and, <laughs> and you notice how huge his push was, mm-hmm. is that, and, and this was the era of the 90s and the, the uh, TV jobbers, mm-hmm. which got me work. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's so, where business picked right, up for Chris yeah, Germany. So business picked up. <laughs> so, like, you know, they needed good workers that would get their guys over, even if they weren't good. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times in, like, USWA or um, in Global Wrestling Federation where they would put me in the ring with somebody who had no fucking business being in there. Yeah. But they had a body, and they were going to see if they could get them over. Okay. Well, who are you going to do? You're going to pick the best fucking, the best real technical worker to get him in there and get him over. I mean, I remember I was in the ring with a guy who was a bodybuilder. They pulled him out of some gym somewhere, taught him how to fucking take a back bump. Yeah. And he just was a drizzling shit. (laughs) (laughs) And they put him in a Superman outfit. Oh, no. And just had him, like, he was one of those guys that would walk to the ring and look like every, like, he wouldn't even bend his knees. Like, he wasn't an athlete. He was a bodybuilder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they put me in the ring with him, and I called a couple spots to get him over, and he fucked him up. (laughs) And I was like, oh, holy shit. I was like, all right. Here, I'm going to. So what do you do? I mean, but yeah, but what, what happens in that? Okay, I got two choices. Okay. Because he's not getting over with every little well, spot. Listen, he's I, fucking him up and not getting over. I know I can get him over. Yeah. I know if he does, if he'll just listen. I, I made him too complicated. Yeah, yeah, You know what I'm saying? I, mean, I made him. I <laughs> headlock, tried, headlock headlock into rope. That's right. Was just way too fucking. <laughs> he was like, huh? Like I called an overhand wrist lock. Okay. Okay. Overhand wrist yeah, lock. Yeah. Go from a, 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 from a, a headlock yeah. to an overhand wrist lock. He couldn't do it. Oh, Jesus. And I was like, oh, holy shit, I'm in trouble. Yeah. So I take him to the corner, and I was like, okay, I'm going to go to punch you, block it, hit me. So I fucking go to hit him, and he fucking doesn't block it, and I hit him right in the mouth. And it's like, but he doesn't sell it. Yeah. Now what do I do? 
Yeah. Well, he's got to be. He's fucking wearing a Superman outfit. So what do I so do? So I guess it's good I to say like, he's on, not selling. Come on, come on, beat me up. So he beats me up. He okay. takes me in the corner. Beats me up. I call another spot from the corner. He fucks that up. I'm like, oh, holy what's shit. the crowd doing this whole time? Oh, they're they fucking they're not buying it for shit. They're they're doing the check drop. Yeah, I think they're... it was the first and last time I ever saw this guy in the ring. Okay, okay. <laughs> so. So I'm like, referee, how much time we got? And he's like, two and a half minutes. I'm like, holy shit, I got to carry this guy for another two and a half minutes. I mean, and that's a long time in in, in comedy and wrestling. That is a long time when nothing is happening. Yes. When, no, when the crowd's not feeling it. So I, I had like him take him over, right? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, here, put my head in between your legs. You know, because like a head. A That'd be head funny scissor. if he's like, nah, he's I ain't like, doing oh, that. holy shit. He's like, he I'm not doing do that. that. Yeah. So I literally, I literally look at the referee and I'm like, can we go home now? And he's like, yes. So I would take, he not? Would he not do that spot because he's just very he homophobic? Just had, he had no fucking idea what he was doing. Oh, okay. So I, I just, I, him, I want him to be homophobic and I, him not be able to. Like, nah, I ain't doing that. <laughs> so I finally go to fucking. I, I throw a couple punches at him. The whole time, every punch, I'm going sell. So. When I'm throwing the punch, I'm going, sell, yeah. sell, sell. So finally, I pick him up for a big uh, body slam yeah. and just hold him up in the air and fall back. So you just get the so match over with. I just take with. the match so I can get it over with. Yeah. And, like, literally, I wrap my hands around his waist so he couldn't get up. Yeah, yeah. So he was covering <laughs> me for the one like, So literally, I take the bump yeah. and wrap my arms around his waist so he has no, no choice. <laughs> But to stay down the for the jobber that loves the like, job. Holy Jesus! What was Christ. the planned finish? So I can't even remember, remember at this point. And uh, so, like, uh, what was this dude's move? What was? I can't even fucking remember. I mean, I don't. It, you I don't, know what? It, I don't, it was sticking probably, a needle in his ass. That was his move. Probably. Yeah, did, <laughs> checking his oil. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you know, it was probably I, a fucking gorilla press slam. Yep. Something. That was the secret in wrestling. If they didn't have a, a, a lot of skill and they were bodybuilders, just give them the fucking the gorilla, gorilla press slam. slam. Yeah, just. <laughs> so we get to the back and the referee looks at me like, "Holy shit!" Yeah. I come to the back and one of the boys goes, "Boy, you did we did the best you could with that piece of shit." I what was, was like, the, yeah? What was the reaction to his? I mean, he never I, worked again. Did, I can't. I can't. I think they gave him his bag and made him walk out of this Jesus. fucking sportatorium. It was just, it was horrible. Oh, and was this was in the sportatorium. In the sportatorium. This motherfucker walked in the Global, sportatorium. Global Wrestling Federation. And fucked up. Ah. Oh, ah. Oh. He fucked it. Just a fuck over. Again. At that point. But he fucked over At that point, me carrying that match, they should have put the fucking strap on me. Yeah, you deserved a fucking yeah. award. You should just be in the WWE yeah. Hall of Fame just for that. It was, it was, <laughs> just for that. It was that time of the, it was that time in pro wrestling where you couldn't go to the management and go, are you really putting guys over like well, that instead that of fucking now. me? You can't, yeah, you can't, you can't do that do, now. Well, you couldn't do that then. Look who like, they're cutting. What I should have done is gone, okay, I did that for you. Give me a fucking push. Yeah. Get, give me a fucking push. See what it, see if I can get over, you know, but you can't, you couldn't do, I don't think you could do that nowadays. I, you probably couldn't. I'll AEW. tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you right now. You should, if you're uh, if you're a worker and you're working for an organization that's got some kind of, televised program if you feel like you need to get over you need to go ask for it i would go fucking ask for it now I see here's I how i, I would ask because like as because there's a there's a point as a comic where you got to be like what can i do to get this spot on this show 
So like, if I was gonna ask my, if I was gonna ask, you know, put me over, I would go up and be like, okay, what do we need to do? Because I'm getting a good crowd response. I want a better spot. What do you guys want from me? I wouldn't do it like CM Punk did it, but CM Punk did it, and it, you know, he, he did it on a live mic and was successful. Yeah. So, but don't do it like him. Not everyone CM Punk. What I should have done is, here's the problem. You should have beat know, the shit out of that guy. You should have just. Uh, he was a big old boy. You should have just pummeled his ass. He doesn't even know how to. He doesn't even know how you to know, what perform a wrestling match. What I should have done is put him in an arm bar and broke his arm. I mean, or 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 put him in a in a in a fucking uh, ankle lock and broke his fucking leg. I mean, I wasn't saying we go that violent. No, but it, you get to the point. It's the, the what I was taught when I got in the business is now I was I was a. I was a football player. Yeah. Okay. I was a big guy and I lifted weights and, you know, I played my high school ball at two thirty. Yeah. As a, as a senior in high school. And what I should have, what I, what I should have done is done something to disable him where he didn't have a reason. Now you're talking about breaking I, his bones though, but, but I, I'm not saying we go that what you far. You did back then sometimes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that is true. So, back mean, in the day, it's just, oh, he didn't sell my punch. I got to break his arm. You know, or, <laughs> I don't know. When you get, it's, 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 a, it used to be a real fine line when you get roided up guys like that. And, and, you know, listen, I knew that he wasn't going to last in the business. Yeah. So I was like, all right, I did what the promoter asked me to do. Mm-hmm. And so I did my job. And and really, it probably gave me a leg up a little bit because when you put somebody, I mean, I probably could have had a better match with a broomstick. <laughs> Honest to God, because the broomstick would have listened. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if I called the spot, the broomstick would have done its You could definitely go yeah. headlock into the ropes with <laughs> right, a broomstick. Right. So, I don't know, man. No. Well, I'm glad you didn't break that guy's bones. Looking back, yeah, you, uh, looking you know, back you, at you that, you wonder who what happened to these people. When you look back at like the normal, like you just said, the response back then would have been put him in an armbar, break his arm, put him in. Do you look back and go, oh, man, that was a very hostile response? <laughs> to- it's, it's funny because it was a hostile environment. Yeah, like it really was. It was there was a lot of camaraderie, but but if you fucked up, you get but in if your you arm fucked broke. up. You get, yeah, you fucked up like you. Like it followed you around. It's not like having a bad set in stand-up comedy. You get over that pretty quick. Yeah. But, um, but. But if the host came back up on the show during the comedy show and broke my arm or leg, you know how that's like too much. Actually, now that I, I think know, about that, now that I think about that, I kind of want that in comedy. Some people deserve that. <laughs> well, there's a couple of them. Hey everybody, come hear my rape jokes. Okay, just little, let's just go break his ankle or his arm real quick and get the next comic up on stage. Well, it's like I don't know, man. It was a, listen. It was a tough environment. I'm sure it's probably still a tough environment, but I, I don't know. Things were a little bit more aggressive back then. Yeah. Well, they're not. Uh, they're not now. Uh, they're. It, I think it's a little bit more of a um, understandable environment. I think the last time I saw anybody do anything on live television that was just like, oh, shit, he's really pissed off, was like, I think it was Perry Saturn beat up a dude on, like, Sunday Night Heat, like this jobber who didn't, he he didn't do something right, and Perry Saturn just beat the shit out of him on Sunday Night Heat, and then they gave Perry Saturn the moppy gimmick, 
where he just carried right, around right, a mop. Right. That was his punishment. But he got over. He was getting <laughs> he was getting over with it. Yeah, give me a fucked up gimmick like that. I would have got over. Yeah. Well, they didn't like the fact that he was getting over. So then they took Moppy away, and then you just never saw Perry Saturn yeah. again. Yeah, that was, it ended up being <laughs> a sad story. That okay now that yeah that I think about the Perry Saturn, but still. The dude got the moppy gimmick as a punishment for beating the shit out of somebody and made it work. I think Perry Saturn needs to be in the Hall of Fame for taking a mop gimmick Poor guy. and making it work. Um, but a lot's changing in wrestling nowadays, man. Yeah, so uh, so uh, WWE let go of uh, Strowman. Well, let's get to the first news. Uh, Mark Henry has joined AEW oh, that's right. uh, as an friend analyst. Of the podcast. Friend of the podcast. We have a past episode with Mark Henry. Go listen to it now. He did not drop us any hints that he was well, doing this. Well, I don't this. know that. I, don't, I mean, that's that was what uh, a couple months ago. So it was he, a couple months ago. Maybe they weren't he, even in talks. They probably weren't. But like, it's it's kind of shocking because Mark Henry has been very much pro WWE and and I think I think it just comes to the point where you gotta um, you gotta you gotta look out for you. Yeah, yeah, and I, I it was a. It, I mean, it's a very effective signing on AEW's part. This guy's going to be coaching the younger dudes, and we've seen him in action do that at SWE. Yeah, and he, uh, uh, I think, is he going to do some commentary too? Yeah, he's doing the commentary. Yeah. So AEW's getting a new TV show on Friday nights called Rampage. January, they're going to move to TBS, and they're going to have quarterly, like, one-night specials on TNT. So AEW's, like, building up. Yeah, they're really uh, the the group there. Uh, what's the name of the uh, guys that own the company there? Oh, um, I mean, you can call them the Elite, the Bullet Club. No, the uh, actual money backer guys. The, oh, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, the, guy, <laughs> the Jacksonville Jaguars. The the Khan family. There you go, Tony Khan. So uh, you know, listen, it seems like they're really making an investment, and and I don't know if they're making an investment because it's profitable for them, or they're making an investment because at this point Vince is on the ropes. There's rumors that uh, WWE is getting sold. So they cut they cut a bunch of so, executives. So t- so I know you read the dirt sheets and shit online, right? Like well, where do so, you get this information? So WWE if you were going to go alone by actions, it's looking like they're planning to sell. So before and we'll get into the group of wrestlers that were cut cuz it's still shocking, but there were a number of executives that were cut week prior. And then we fast forward and they're cutting not only like Big stars like Braun Strowman and Aleister Black. But you got to look at their contracts, too. So they release executives with these good contracts being office employees. The highest paid people in the company. Yeah. So Braun Strowman had a multi-million dollar contract that he signed, I want to say, back in 2018. Yeah, something like it was was working up to like a million dollars a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Lana, who signed uh, a multi-million dollar contract back in 2019, she got released. Alistair Black, I think he, he, they were working on something with him. They were doing vignettes for a new heel character that Alistair Black was really excited about. Um, But I think Vince just never understood the appeal to Alistair Black. I think that's more of a Vince call. But then you have Ruby Riot. And Ruby Riot is not only a great performer, but a great uh, person in the locker room. You know, she helps the other women in the division. She's really good friends with everybody. Everybody loved her. Boom, released her. 
one could say that they're making money moves in order to sell the product. So what you're what you're saying really is, if I'm hearing this right, it's what they're doing is they're trying to make their books look good. Trying to make their books look good. Also, they, from what I understand, they're compartmentalizing certain uh, uh, divisions within the company. So you got the marketing, you got the social media, and they're compartmentalizing all that. Now, this is a little bit more of a difficult thing to do because, you know, WWE is a public company. Mm-hmm. So to sell a public company is a little bit more complicated, and it really kind of comes down to how much money are they bringing in, how much money is going out. So it, it, to, to, to pad the kind of, you know, you'll see this in other business types that are planning on selling. You probably saw it in, uh, you know, America Online mm-hmm. and, and Time the, Warner. The and, big, the, where I see it going is so they're compartmentalizing because the theory on that is if you compartmentalize every department of your company, you're compartmentalizing it for the person who's about to take over. So they don't just have this mess of departments all over the place. So you combine comp- uh, departments, compartmentalize, you get rid of the big money moves or the people that are going to be owed big money, whether executives or performers. So when you bring in that company that owns your next company, it's kind of a favor to them. So where I'm seeing this going is I truly think that WWE might sell to NBC Universal. NBC Universal already has the content they paid a billion dollars for with the network. Hmm. Um, Vince, so I wonder, do they plan on selling it and then still running the company? I think what I think what would happen is NBC buys it and then uh, Stephanie McMahon and Paul Levesque call the shots. I think they'd still be involved, maybe Chain too, but Vince is probably going to sell this company for multiple billions of dollars sure. and just go away, be happy. Um, that's why it's, I think it's, what, God, it's, I think it's time, you know, I mean, for him, oh, what's he 75, 76 years old. Yeah. Right? I mean, you kind of get to the point where you're like, uh, and especially if your company is not actually doing that well. Yeah. It gets to the point where you're like, mm, gosh, what do, do we, do we fish or do we cut bait? Also, you got to look at their, their, these, they, they are open for business for new Japan. And this isn't the first time this has happened. But the the idea of them wanting to work with New Japan is another step in a direction where, again, you could say... Yeah, that makes the company look uh, more valuable. Looks more valuable, exactly. This isn't the first time they've talked with New Japan, and New Japan has always like ended the talks because New Japan is under the impression, well, if it doesn't benefit us, if it only benefits you, if our wrestlers right. going over there only benefits you, right? and it doesn't benefit right. us, fuck you. See... New Japan works with AEW and New Japan works with Impact and all these other companies because it does benefit them. Yeah. WWE has never benefited them. Because why would I send my top guy to go over there and lose to Roman Reigns when I can have an AEW guy who is also under contract with me be the IWGP United States belt and we can defend it on American you know, audience, right, uh, television. Right. So WWE is looking very complicated right now, and and the fact that they released Braun Strowman, Aleister Black, all that, I'm you got to remember when AEW first came around, they weren't letting go big people hmm. because they saw AEW as competition. Now I see, now I think that they see AEW is not competition, but not going anywhere. So they're yeah, making they're, they're well yeah because it, it's they're not uh, making. 
unbelievable leaps and bounds as far as they are they are making small advances they are making small advances but they're never going to be the juggernaut that wwe is unless you bring in more millionaires and billionaires or or wcw for that matter having turner's money you know we've we've seen a lot of things on 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 uh on tv now you know explaining what actually happened with wcw and Mm -hmm. you know you you find things online and and uh kind of gives you an idea that you know, Turner's money had a bit had a lot to do with their success. Well, with- also, Turner's money and Vince's money were pretty much at the same point at that time. I don't know, man. Turner was a big deal. Like bro. Turner was a beast. Like Turner owned so many. You know, he owned WTBS. He owned TNT. Mm-hmm. He owned uh, he owned CNN. He owned the Cartoon Network. Yep. He owns. I mean, he he was. He was way over a billionaire before Vince even thought about being a billionaire. Yeah. I mean, he was a multi-billionaire. On top of that, he he bought uh, umpteen uh, uh, billions of acres of land between New Mexico and Wyoming. Well, what I'm saying is the roles are reversed now. Yeah. So, like, WWE right. is the beast. AEW, not so much. But, you know, the wrestling market's gotten big enough to where Impact can survive, AEW can survive. WWE can be this juggernaut. And I think the smartest thing that happened was AEW, Impact, NWA, New Japan, all working together to put on uh, a wrestling community uh, storyline with Kenny Omega being the champion of everything. But WWE, a part of me feels like they want to talk with New Japan to kind of shut that shit down. Because now it's bringing value to the other companies. Yeah. But I'm I mean, not going to be surprised if, you know, I don't we know. hear tomorrow, WWE's it's, been sold. If WWE does sell to a larger company like NBC, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that, I think it's an advantage, I think it's an advantage to every uh, large independent across the United States. I mean, you know, we work directly with uh, SWE, which is an up-and-coming company here mm-hmm. in Texas. Uh, got a lot of uh, uh, TV stations, uh, uh, you know, the, the that they work with across the United States. I mean, I don't know particularly. I know the ones here in Texas, but I know they're 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 working on deals like that. So I think that it can only be a good thing for other independents to see. Hey, guess what? Also. You're, a company is buying it that has no idea what wrestling is. Yeah, that's why you compartmentalize everything. You make yeah. it easier. So you need you need individuals to come and run that company that know the wrestling business. You, we've also we've seen what happens to people that take over a company mm-hmm. that is a wrestling company that don't know what wrestling really is. They don't know how to run wrestling. They think it's like running an inter- entertainment company I mean, and it's completely you can not. go you can s- cite dixie carter like at first dixie carter was running tna very smoothly because she was listening to people like dusty Rhodes and scott demore and everything and then she was like wait a minute bischoff and hogan had some success in the 90s i'm gonna yeah. let them and then all of a sudden it was just like what the fuck has tna become because a non-wrestling person made the decision of like, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna give Bischoff and I'm gonna bring Russo in. I'm gonna give Bischoff and Hogan some control because they had success, right? And it ruined yeah, what we TNA saw how already that had. Out. Yeah, 
Yeah. That was just another nightmare. But you can also go back to WCW when they gave every, when just AOL took it over and it was just like, ah, we're not doing anything with yeah, this. Yeah, I mentioned to you that I just finished the book uh, called Nitro. Yeah. And uh, it's it's actually a recommend the book. It's unbelievable. Uh, um written by an English guy named Gary, oh, God, I can't remember his last name. Anyway, really good detailed information to that stuff that I really didn't know. Yeah. The, the detailed, you know, you hear it after the fact, but I didn't know what was actually going on at the time and to hear the details of what happened and how basically WCW imploded. It had it had all the money in the world, but it, no one was running the wrestling show. Well, that's why he had little things like Lord Steven Regal making well, Goldberg and, well, look like a fucking. And the company <laughs> itself, um, you know, Time Warner, uh, AOL, when like they looked down on it anyway. That to mm-hmm. them it was like you know it was it was a mud show. The only people that loved wrestling in the '90s were wrestling fans. That was it. The '90s was, I mean, a lot of people will tell you that's that's the golden era, you know, mm-hmm. the Attitude Era and the NWO and the and the wrestling wars. But it was going against the grain of what entertainment wanted you to like in the '90s. Because if you remember, Fox had those Secrets of Wrestling revealed, and then yeah. the steroid reports yeah. in the news yeah. and stuff. They wanted people to stop making either WCW. Or WWF, the number one rated thing. People, like, the media totally fucking wanted that. Because I can't tell you how many times... Well, everybody looked down on it. I'll be honest with yeah. you. When I first got into... When I first started training with Chris Adams at Sportatorium, uh, we had... Uh, they had... Um, you know, Chris was trying to promote it. He was working with USWA, mm-hmm. which was owned by Jerry Jarrett. And the Memphis guys, uh, Jerry Lawler and some other guys, Bill Dundee was involved. And uh, so they were running it and they would have, you know, um, news kind of, uh, you know, these little uh, news uh, shows come down. There were local news shows or national news shows come down to want to promote what they were doing at the Sportatorium. And they mm-hmm. were trying to stay alive, you know, with the, with the whole Vince thing that was going on in, yeah. the, in the late 80s. And uh, um, I refused to be on TV. Because like you, you didn't know? No, yeah, because, like, I didn't know what they were going to do. Mm-hmm. Like, when, like, when they started uh, coming in and doing interviews at the wrestling school, there were guys that were, oh, gung-ho. Oh, yeah, I'm going to be on TV. Not me. Yeah. No, 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 no. You put me on TV when I have learned this business. Mm-hmm. It's the exact same thing with, with, uh, with that I've done with stand-up comedy. Like, listen, I don't mind being the opener. Yeah, I'm not fighting to be the headliner until I'm ready to headline. Absolutely. Like, I got to learn this fucking business. Don't put me on TV and let me make a fool of myself because guess what? That TV never goes away. Mm-hmm. So let me. Well, also, you don't know what they're going to put on. You exactly, know? they can they can manipulate it. And I make saw it. ESPN interview John. Do you remember that when ESPN or something uh, interviewed John Cena and they edited it to where it it made John Cena admit to steroid use and like WWE put up the full interview 
Because they were just like, no, he didn't say any of that. This interview was no, edited. I remember that, no. That was like 2000 and I want to say 13 or 14. Wow, that's horrible. But the media is always, like, if I were you back in the day, I wouldn't want to be on TV because all of a sudden they're telling you, oh, it's about wrestling, and then you watch it, and yeah, it and says Chris Germany, fake wrestler. Right, exactly, exactly. And, <laughs> Look and, and at listen, this doofus. I knew enough about I knew it. I was a big enough fan of the wrestling business yeah. that I knew I didn't want to be out there promoting another show. Mm-hmm. If you, I wanted to be promoting me. Yeah, and I'm not like okay. After I became established and I moved to NWA Southwest and I was helping with the training program in NWA Southwest. <laughs> wake up, Ralphie. Ralphie's sleeping. Leave Ralphie, wake up. Alone. Look at this I'm not going to have the dog dreaming in the background of this. Uh, Ralphie's dreaming and chasing rabbits. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, I, like once I moved to NWA Southwest and I was established and I became a, uh, like I kind of found my voice in the wrestling business, um, then I was involved in stuff like that. You know, the news companies would come want to come and do a story about how big wrestling has become with the Attitude Area and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, was it local know, news? It was local news. Yeah, right? local news was always so, good wrestling. And then. so you know, then I would then I knew how to kind of uh, what kind of a uh, things to say, saying things not to say, so on and so forth. Yeah, and to uh, the way to deal with. Uh, to speak directly to reporters and, you know, to say the things I wanted to say. Kayfabe. Right, and, to kayfabe. Yeah. yeah. So basically. So, uh, but, you know, I, I mean, I didn't want to be involved in that when I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Mm-hmm. Why would I do that? Why would I, why would I, you know, try and shoehorn myself into television when I didn't deserve to be on television yet? And that concludes part one of The Bodyguard. Thank you guys so much for listening. Part two is going to be on Friday. Hey, give us a follow on Twitter at counting underscore lights. Email us at countinglightspodcast at gmail.com. And find us on Facebook. Give us a like and follow. Facebook.com slash countinglightspodcast. We will see you Friday for this part two. This is Counting Lights Podcast, where comedy and wrestling lock up.